Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God and it contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you're here today and glad you're ready to get some of the answers to your questions that you've asked over the past weeks. Uh, we'll try to get to as many as we can today. If you happen to be a first-time viewer, uh, our goal here is to help you know your Bible a little bit better. And the way we found that works best is just let you ask questions. So you'll see a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. Uh, use those to get in touch with us. Tell us what's on your mind. Maybe you've always wondered about, is that in the Bible? Or what's that mean? Or what's this doctrine mean? We'll try to answer it for you. Uh, any questions about the Bible or things pertaining to the Bible, if, like we say in the introduction, the Bible's got answers to most everything in life, and we'll try to find an answer for you. So uh, log in or call us and uh, tell us what you'd like us to talk about on Know Your Bible. Let me introduce Toby Leverings back this morning. Hello, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're here with us and ready to answer some of these good questions. Uh, always have one for the viewers first, and this one's a very first thing in the Bible almost. Uh, what was the fruit? that Eve ate. And we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the question. See if you know that one. And I bet a lot of you think you know it immediately. So we'll see if you got it right. Okay, I drew the first one today. And the viewer says, I read the, uh, read the last line of the Lord's Prayer was added later and that Jesus didn't say it. Well, viewers correct that uh, last line of the Lord's Prayer is a disputed uh, part of the Bible, if you want to say that. Some old manuscripts have it. Uh, some old manuscripts don't have it. So scholars love to fight about those kind of things, whether it was added in there by a scribe sometime. There are a few things like that in the Bible that uh, are ancient manuscripts, and we don't have the original writing. We don't have Matthew's uh, papyrus that he wrote on. Uh, so we've got some manuscripts after that and a couple of them disagree on this. So people disagree and some translations have that last line of the Lord's Prayer, some don't. The Catholic Bible does not. Uh, many of the newer translations leave it out. Uh, let's just read that whole passage with it in there. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, 8 through 13, the familiar Thing we call the Lord's Prayer. It was actually the disciples' prayer because they asked him to teach them how to pray. So he told them, here's a sample prayer. Uh, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then this translation adds the next line, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Uh, that is technically called a doxology. Uh, doxology literally means glory speaking or speaking glory to God. Uh, and they're basically a little short poem or short hymn. 
that is sometimes said after a reading of a scripture or some part of a worship service. Uh, another very familiar doxology. Uh, so you may sing the song some at uh, your church, uh, written back in 1674, I found out. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. That's a doxology, a glory-speaking short hymn. So some people say that uh, Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever is a doxology, a short hymn that some people used, and some scribe added it to the end of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I'm not a textual scholar, and all the great textual scholars that you check disagree on this, uh, whether it ought to be there or not. Uh, thankfully, it has nothing to do with salvation. It's nothing that's going to be on the uh, uh, entrance exam when we get to heaven. <laughs> so I don't think it's worth fighting about too much. Uh, if you want to add it, you're comfortable and are used to adding that, it's fine with me. Uh, if you want to leave it out and agree with a lot of the scholars, that's fine too. But viewers right, it's a disputed part of the scripture and may or may not supposed to be there. So, hope that helps. All right. Uh, viewer has the next question about a verse in John chapter 8, verses 6 through 8. It says that God wrote on the ground before and after responding to the scribes and Pharisees about the woman caught in adultery. Why did he do that? Well, let's read John chapter 8, verses 6 through 8 together to clarify. Uh, Jesus, I guess this is John 8, 10 through 11. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Jesus straightened up and asked, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said, then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. The verses preceding that, uh, Jesus is, is basically in this situation with a woman caught in adultery, and they are accusing her, and as they accuse her, Jesus says nothing. He simply stoops down and begins to write on the ground. Scripture does not tell us what he wrote or what it said, and if it had anything to do with that current situation, we can only speculate. And so the answer to your question of why did he do that, uh, we don't know because we don't know what he wrote. Um, but apparently John felt it was necessary for us to know it and uh, or it wouldn't have been in there. But uh, that's really not the point of the story. Uh, the point of the story is the mercy and compassion that Jesus shows this woman and even though she absolutely was guilty, and of course there was a, obviously a man involved as well, why he was not uh, brought into the picture we don't know. Um, but she was guilty and under the law was guilty of death. And Jesus, uh, instead of giving her justice, showed her mercy. And at the end of that confrontation, which the verse we just read, he calls her uh, not just to live in that lifestyle, but to leave it. Uh, and, and get away from it. And so that's a very good um, uh, story, a beautiful story of Jesus' love and compassion. Who had the right to throw a stone? Only Jesus. And what did he do? He didn't throw one. And um, there's a lot of application for this in our lives. But to answer the question, we do not know what Jesus wrote on the ground or why he did. Why questions are kind of tough. They have a very tricky. We, we, we do real well on what and who and where and when, but when you start asking why questions, we, we, it gets why tricky. God did something yep. is a little out of our league sometimes. Yep. 
All right, here's one that uh, we get quite often in different forms. Your wants to know, do you have to be baptized to go to heaven? We do speak about baptism on this program a lot because we get asked a lot of questions about it because it is a big deal in the Christian world. There's a lot of people who have been taught that, no, you don't have to be baptized. Baptism is not necessary, and there's all sorts of reasons for that teaching, and uh, we won't spend time on those. Uh, usually how we answer this question is we show you a lot of verses that say, yes, Jesus commanded us to be baptized. Well, uh, I got to thinking this time that the people that ask this question, they've been taught, they've been shown other verses that say grace saves us and faith saves us and repentance saves us and confession saves us and all that. Uh, they don't have any problem with those verses, but they use them to say, well, see there, you don't have to be baptized. Uh, the other thing that people do that have been taught you don't have to be baptized is they bring up hypotheticals. Well, what if? Uh, what if you want to be baptized but you can't find any water? What if you believe in Jesus but on your way to the, be baptized, lightning strikes you and you die? What's God going to do then? Uh, so that's the two basic responses is showing some other verses and then coming up with hypotheticals. Instead of just showing you a lot of verses, let me just give you a very simple-minded illustration here. Uh, what if I said today, if you'll meet me at the courthouse at such and such a time, uh, I'll give you a million dollars. Well, if, if you believed me, you would do what I said. If you believed me, you would get in your car and go to the courthouse. Nobody would say to that that believed me, that believed I had the power to give you a million dollars, nobody would say, well, do I have to go to the courthouse? That would never enter your head. They'd say, he's got a million dollars. He said, go to the courthouse. I'm going. Neither would anybody, if they got there and I gave them the million dollars, would they say, well, I earned it. I earned it by driving to the courthouse. No, they'd understand it's a free gift. Uh, they would not question what I asked them to do. Uh, compare that to baptism. Jesus said, uh, told his apostles, you go into all the world and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Well, I don't understand why anybody asks, well, do I have to? It just doesn't seem reasonable to me. Um, neither would anybody come up with my illustration of a million dollars, uh, neither would anybody start calling and saying, well, what if? What if I'm halfway there and I have a car wreck and I kept it there? What are you going to do? Are you still going to give me the million dollars? Let me handle that. I'll take care of it. On all the hypotheticals, I'll let God handle it. If you're on the way to baptism and you get struck by lightning, I bet God can figure it out. I think He knows what's in your heart. I think He knows what's in your mind. I think He'll do exactly the right thing. So hopefully that helps from a little different perspective than we usually talk about it. Uh, what I do know about this question is I do know that to be saved, to get to heaven, you have to be in Christ. He said He is the way, the only way. I know you got to be in Christ. That's the only way anybody's going to get in heaven. So just one little verse that might help you understand here, Romans chapter 6 and verse 3, Paul said to the people in Rome, he said, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
How did Paul think people got into Christ? How did Paul think you got connected to his death? Uh, you were baptized into it because that's what Jesus said to do. So hopefully that gives you a little different perspective on this standard question about the necessity or, of baptism or the unnecessity of it. So uh, you won't be in Christ. You get into him by being baptized. All right, let's talk about a good way to study the Bible. We uh, like to answer a few questions each week, but the Bible's got a lifetime of material in it, and we'll never get to all of it, and uh, you won't either, but the more you know, the better off you'll be. So we advocate knowing your Bible on this program. Uh, we've got some free Bible study materials that we think is a great way to study the Bible. We've been using it for years. Lots of people have gotten more familiar with their Bible. You see eight lessons on the screen uh, there that are uh, the lessons we start with. And we've got some more advanced courses that take you into all sorts of details of the Bible. But uh, we can keep you studying the Bible for quite a while. All you have to do is... Uh, call that phone number on the screen or log on to the website and say, I'd like that free course. And it is absolutely free. I know there's not much free in this life, but uh, this Bible study is. Uh, in fact, we even pay the postage for you, so you don't have no cost to you at all. Uh, just a little bit of your time. Do it in the privacy of your own home. Sit down with your own Bible. Uh, some people do it in groups. Uh, get a group of folks together and have a Bible study once a week and use this course or something like that. Uh, do it any way you want, but just stay in the Bible and this is a good way to help you know your Bible a little bit better. So give us a call, log on, we'll get it started for you. We think you'll like it. Good way to study the Bible. All right, Toby. Got a question about streets of gold. The Bible talks about streets of streets of gold and storing up treasures where moths can't destroy. Uh, what good are riches in heaven if we can't buy or sell anything. Okay, well, uh, you've, you've kind of mixed some scriptures here. Uh, the uh, concept of streets of gold uh, comes from the image that John had in the book of Revelation as he's writing down his vision and then the uh, understanding that uh, don't store up treasures in heaven is where Jesus was talking uh, to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. So uh, there's different sections of Scripture in different contexts. Of course, the Bible speaking about heaven in Revelation, a lot of imagery there. I don't think heaven has literal streets of gold because heaven is a spiritual place. It's a, it's not a fleshly place. And as you say, there's no, you know, there's no purpose or need for gold up in heaven. I believe it was John's way of saying, yeah, and he does as he describes the gates and the foundations and all of that using these exquisite jewels and precious metals. He's trying to come up with the most beautiful picture of a place that is so precious and so valuable uh, that we just can't even imagine a place that was so good. You didn't even have the words to describe it. I think that's what G John attempts to do in his vision and revelation. And then in Matthew, uh, he's speaking. Uh, Jesus is speaking, of course, about uh, the you know. Our, there's a difference between treasure on earth and treasure in heaven. The only treasure you can take with you to heaven are people, their souls, and by leading other people to to Christ and so forth. Let's re let's read uh, Matthew chapter six, verses nineteen through twenty, where he talks about this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, 
where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Uh, what he's saying there is the things that are valuable here uh, mean very little in the next world. In fact, mean nothing at all. And so we spend a lot of time and energy trying to accumulate money and stuff and treasure, and our lives aren't very long. And the place where we're going, all that stuff doesn't matter anyway. Uh, so he's talking really about priorities and values and making sure that you focus on the right things while you're here. Heaven's going to be a great place, and uh, as beautiful as it is, we want to get as many people as we can to go with us. So I believe that's what we're talking about with those two scriptures. All righty. Got a question about us. Verse, actually, but uh, I'm not sure the person knew what verse it was. They've just heard something about it. Uh, a viewer says, I was told that Christ will not return until all people on earth have heard the gospel. Is this true? Well, that's said by some folks and a fairly common thought among some, uh, some, some religious folks. It's a misunderstanding of one verse in the Bible. Uh, and actually it's from chapter 24 of Matthew, which is one of the most abused chapters in the Bible. Um, uh, let's set the background for Matthew 24 first. Uh, what happened at, at that chapter, at the very first of it, the first couple of verses, Jesus was walking through the temple courtyard and he said to his apostles, he said, this place is going to be destroyed. Uh, there's not going to be one stone left on another. Now he was prophesying the destruction of the temple, uh, which would happen in a few years, and we'll talk about that. So then verse 3 says, uh, that night when they were sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and they said this, tell us, they said, when will this happen? So he talked about the destruction of the temple. They asked him, when's that going to happen? But the question goes on. It says, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the signs of your coming and of the end of the age? So they asked him two questions. They asked him, when's the temple going to be destroyed? And when's the end of the world coming? When, when's your second coming and all of that going to happen? Okay. So Jesus answers both questions in the rest of Matthew 24. And what people do, unfortunately, is get them all mixed up and think it's all talking about the end of time and all that. No, most of it he's answering about when the temple's going to be destroyed and what's going to happen then. Well, we know from history that he was talking in about 30 A.D. And at 70 A.D., the Romans came in and destroyed Jerusalem. Uh, they flattened the temple just like Jesus said they would. Okay, So in that 40 years, the things happened that Jesus prophesied. Now, the verse that our viewers misunderstanding is verse 14 of Matthew 24. Let's look at that. One of the things Jesus said in answering the question about when the temple is going to be destroyed, he said the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So he said before this temple's destroyed, the gospel's going to spread through the world. Okay, let's think of history here. It's 30 A.D. About 12 guys knew about the gospel. A few more than that, but <laughs> very few knew what the gospel of the kingdom was, the good news of the kingdom. Okay. Pretty soon Jesus died, 
was resurrected. Fifty days later, the day of Pentecost, Peter told everybody there, 3,000 people knew about the gospel of the kingdom and were baptized. A few years after that, persecution started in Jerusalem, and Christians got spread all over the whole world. They went to all the known world, and what did they do when they went there? They taught people the gospel. They told other people the good news of the kingdom. They did that for those 40 years. And then in 70 A.D., the end came, the end of the temple that Jesus was prophesying. So that's what that verse means, is before this temple is destroyed, uh, the good news of the kingdom is going to spread all over the world. And it did. It has absolutely nothing to do with today. It has absolutely nothing to do with the end of time. It has nothing to do with the gospel being preached in all nations. Of course, we've been commanded to go into all the world, and we are trying uh, people are teaching the gospel and translating Bibles and going all over the world as missionaries. Uh, we're taking the good news as hard and as fast as we can. Uh, but how successful we are in that uh, doesn't hinder Jesus coming back at any time. So uh, that's the misunderstanding of Matthew 24, 14. <laughs> all right, let me talk just a little bit about visiting a Church of Christ near you. We're sponsored by the Churches of Christ and kept on the air by them. And we like to mention a few each week. And every once in a while we do mention the home church of Know Your Bible. And today that's the one we've got up there. Uh, the Northside Church of Christ right here in Wichita, Kansas, up on North Meridian. Uh, good bunch of folks there and they help keep us on the air and have produced Know Your Bible for all the years we've been on. So if you're uh, looking for a church home, it'd be a great place to visit. If you're uh, just wondering more about Know Your Bible and who the people are that produce it for you, uh, stop in and visit us sometime. Toby and I would be glad to meet you and uh, see you there at Northside. Uh, whatever community you're in and all our viewing area, uh, probably a Church of Christ near you, and they're the ones that help keep this program on the air. So drop in and visit them sometime, or if you know a member of the Church of Christ in your community, uh, tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible, and thank them for keeping the program on the air. Visit us sometime. All right, speaking of churches, yep. how many you got? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, Jesus has lots, uh, and he wrote a letter, uh, the book of Revelation, uh, is John's vision, and he wrote uh, to John saying, these things are shortly going to happen. A viewer asked the question, what do the seven churches in Revelation mean? Well, our viewer, very astute and clearly has uh, read through the book of Revelation and probably came to uh, verse uh, chapter uh, 1, verse 11, where Jesus said to John, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And the viewer wants to know, well, what's this all about? And, of course, it goes on in chapter 2 and 3 where he very specifically addresses each of the churches. Uh, and those were real churches. Those were not Church buildings, as we think of it, church simply means ecclesia, the called out, was simply the group of Christians in that meeting together in that city. And Jesus was addressing them uniquely and personally, addressing their strengths, addressing their weaknesses, uh, showing how well he knew them. A very interesting uh, study on the seven churches. Uh, here's a map of uh, the uh, geographical area where those churches would have been located uh, as he would have uh, written this vision on the island of Patmos. Uh, the, as you can see, the, the churches were uh, very close. 
relatively speaking, to that area, and they were all the, uh, of course, the seven churches were located in Asia Minor, and you can see there in the lower right-hand corner kind of where that is on the world map. Uh, but that's those were real churches, uh, real people. Uh, they had uh, were doing some things well and other things not so well. And so I would encourage you to read it. And it helps us really understand that that book, uh, most people read Revelation and get all sorts of worked up. And they forget <laughs> that this was designed to be a message to Christians in that area, largely about the coming persecution that they were going to face and to uh, be faithful, even if that meant death. Uh, that they would receive the crown of life and just to hold on and not give up. Good good lessons for us to follow, but a lot of that book was written uh, for their specific instruction. All righty, got one from the complaint department here. Oh, uh, viewer says, why don't you answer <laughs> questions with Scripture? Jesus never said, I think. He said, it's written. Well, my first thought to that was, well, we're not Jesus. Uh, he probably knew a little more about Scripture than we do, and uh, we don't know everything. Uh, you can find some guys on TV that know everything, I yeah, think. Yeah. I'd be a little leery of them, but you can find them. Uh, I imagine Jesus did sometimes say, I think, it's not recorded that I know of, but not every question uh, has a clear black and white answer is what I've would answer this viewer. Uh, so we do the best we can. We use scriptures to prove the things that we know it's very clear on. Uh, the other thing I'd say is this: the nature of this program is people ask questions about things they've always wondered about. And people don't wonder about real clear stuff most of the time. <laughs> they wonder about things that are a little bit unsure, kind of a gray area a lot. So we get a lot of those kind of questions. Uh, there are some things that are unclear and even disputable in the Bible, and we have to discuss those because people ask them. So we use Scripture when we can. We do probably say, I think, sometimes, and uh, we apologize for that if that offends you, but we do the best we can. I'll point out that uh, the Apostle Peter wrote one time and he said, you know, some of the things that Paul writes are hard to understand. <laughs> so I always figure if Peter thought Paul's writings were hard to understand, it's probably okay for me to find some of them hard to understand. And sometimes we do say, I think this is the best answer to this question. Uh, we try to give you both sides if it's kind of a 50-50 thing, give you the best advice we can. But uh, we'll try to say as much scripture as we can. And when it's black and white and clear, we'll try to answer it that way and see if that, that handles it. But uh, interesting Interesting thought. We'll we'll work on that. I will stand up and say I I really, my man, for a program of our time, we use a lot of scripture. In my opinion, I mean, almost every every slide, every question, we got one or two. So yep. we do our best. Uh, sometimes they're just not something in the scripture that, you know, deals with an issue. Yep. So we got to use our brain. Yep. There's a there's a few that <laughs> just aren't black and white. We'll yep. do the best we can. All right, let's about out of time here. Let's get our trivia question answered. Uh, we asked today about the, the fruit that Eve ate, and I bet a lot of you thought you knew that immediately, but the answer is I have no idea. <laughs> the Bible doesn't say. Uh, the Bible just says there was a tree, and God told them they can't eat from that tree. Uh, and Eve ate from it. So we call it the forbidden fruit, or we call it the fruit from the tree. Uh, all the painters usually put an apple in there. So <laughs> it, we think it might be an apple, but uh, 
Bible gives no indication of that. So that's the answer to that one. We're glad you've been with us today. Hope we come back next week as we try to answer some more of your questions and uh, get them covered. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.